you got a Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 today. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Today I want us to think about this question. What is in a name? I mean, seriously, really, what is in a name? Why, why do we give kids the names that we give them? Have you ever really thought about that? Why is it that we choose the names that we choose? I, I can remember back whenever uh, uh, my boys, we found out, you know, uh, we were adopting our two boys. We initially planned on, like I said, adopting one, thought we were going to be adopting one child. They called us and said we were adopting two. Uh, we suddenly had to begin the whole name game thing again. We kind of had an idea in our mind what the name was going to be, and then we realized that we needed names, right? And so we started to think through that process once again, and I can remember that uh, there was a part of that process that was really just kind of silly, you know? Uh, you sit back and you think about names and you think, well, if we name them this, when well, the nickname is going to be that. And we don't want their nickname to be that because they'll get made fun of. Or, or we start thinking through, you know, like, okay, if I name them this and this and their initials are going to spell this and that's not a good thing. Uh, but there is a part of naming a child where you start to think about serious things. You start to think about family names. You start to think about biblical names. You start to think about things like that. For instance, with our boys, we named our son Caleb Michael because Michael is my middle name. Caleb, because he is one of my heroes of the Old Testament, one of the spies who went into the promised land and remained faithful to the Lord, believed in the promises of the Lord. We named our other son William, Elijah William, because that was my dad's name, is my dad's name, and it also was Kim's maiden name. Her maiden name was Williams. And we named him Elijah because he was my favorite Old Testament prophet, whose name means the Lord is God. Uh, he was a man who, who was bold for the Lord. But generally speaking, when a parent names a child uh, gives a child some significant name, you know, we, don't, we, we hope that they'll live up to the name, but we don't 100% expect it to happen, right? I mean, we named our child after an Old Testament prophet, but we didn't expect him to become a miracle worker. Uh, we didn't expect him to uh, be one who would call fire out of heaven. We understand it doesn't work that way. It was just a name. That's all we saw it as, is just a name that represented something we liked. In Scripture, names mean something. In fact, names often defined the people, right? A name defined their character. Like, for instance, take Jacob. Uh, we know that when Jacob was born, Esau and Jacob were twins. Jacob literally grabbed at the heel of his brother, uh, tried to get in front of him in line and coming out of the womb, and he was named Jacob, one who grabs at the heel. It also means a trickster. Now, was Jacob a trickster? Absolutely. He was a deceiver. He lived up to his name. He was given a name and he became what his name was. There are other times in the Bible when in which God changes the names of people because of what he's about to do through them. I think of Abram. Abram means exalted father. You can imagine that for 80 some odd years, Abram went around with that name, kind of ashamed of his name. Here was a man named exalted father who couldn't have children who was childless, and yet his name was Father. And God comes along and says, you are now going to be called Abraham, the father of a multitude, because God was about to make him a father of a multitude. When we come to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah gives us a prophecy about the names of the Messiah. He begins to tell us about these names, and when God, through his prophet, states that the Messiah's name shall be called, he is stating exactly who the Messiah is going to be. He is defining who this person is. He is saying he is going to live up to these names. He will be defined by these titles. Isaiah 9, 6, here are the titles. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week we began this series called Here is Our King. We're looking at who is our Messiah. Let's learn about Jesus. Who is this Jesus that we celebrate on Christmas? Today I want us to look at that first title there and to consider just who is this wonderful counselor that we have. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word we learn of your character. We learn of your person. But most importantly, we learn of who Jesus is. Today... Father, as we consider what it means that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, I pray that we would open our our hearts to you, that we would give ourselves to your counsel, to your wisdom, and that we would follow it wholeheartedly. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. This morning, I want us to look at that first title and just what does that mean. And the first thing we need to understand is that what it's telling us here is that Jesus is God's wonder. He is God's wonderful. He says he's the wonderful counselor. You ever had those moments in life in in which um, something took place that just kind of stopped you in your tracks and made you say, wow? I'm talking about those times, those days, those moments, whenever something took place that just took your breath away, in which you were just, you stood, you stopped in amazement of whatever it was. Maybe it was, uh, maybe you've been out on a, uh, road trip or something and saw some, some breathtaking scene of nature, maybe driving through the mountains or driving to the ocean or something like that, and you just stopped and said, wow, look at that view. I can remember being back in high school and we went on a, a band trip up to uh, into Canada and we came back through and went to Niagara Falls and I can remember standing at those, those waterfalls and thinking, wow, just look at this, this, just look at what God made here. And this was nothing for him to make. It was just this wow moment. Maybe it was a, uh, uh, maybe you went to some music performance. You heard someone sing. Maybe it was some sporting event where you saw some team do something amazing and you just said, wow. I can remember, um, I guess it was this past summer, we went up to, uh, to St. Louis with the boys for a baseball game and we went to the, um, we went to like the Cardinals Museum on the day right before we left. And uh, my boys are Cardinals fans because I'm a Cardinals fan, and they've kind of inherited it from me. Whether that's good or bad, it is true. Um, and, and they don't really know any of this stuff. They we're walking through this museum, and it's all of these things that represent baseball games and baseball players that were well before they were even born. They weren't even on the radar yet. And I remember we went to this one exhibit, this one part of the museum, where you got to hold game-used bats uh, from all these Hall of Famers. And, and my son, Will, um, takes this bat with Ozzie Smith. It was one of Ozzie Smith's game union bat, my favorite player ever. And he just stood there, and he held that bat, and he was like, wow, I'm holding history, Dad. This is amazing. He don't know who that is. He's never seen him play. All he's ever seen is videos. He, was, he, he played way before Will was even born. But yet he was amazed by that. You could see it on his face, this wow. The Bible tells us here that that the Messiah's name shall be called Wonderful. Wow. That word there is not an adjective. It's actually a noun. It's not just saying he's the wonderful counselor. It's saying that he is the wonderful one. It's defining who he is. In some older translations, you'll notice that it says wonderful, comma, counselor. And so the two can go together, but they also can be seen as separately. The Messiah is the one who will cause us to wonder, the one who will cause us to stand in awe, the one who will cause us to say, wow, 
My God, look at this Messiah. You have sent us. Thank you, Lord. That wonderful word means supernatural. It means something that is far above man, far above his ways. Jesus, our Savior and King, is the wonder of God. And we see this through his entire life. Take, for instance, at his birth. Here is a a Messiah who is born to a virgin. This was a wonderful Savior who is placed in the womb of a virgin in a very miraculous, supernatural way. We see it on the night of his birth. When the angels showed up in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, we see those angels begin to sing. It says, And suddenly there was an angel uh, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. These angels sang in wonder of the Messiah. They were amazed. They had known that God was going to do something, and they were praising the Lord because they finally got to see it. A child full of wonder. We see it as the shepherds begin to gather around that child and they begin to stand in awe and amazement that here is the Messiah right before that. We see it as the wise men come into town and they place their gifts in worship before the Messiah. He was a child of wonder. It continued as he grew. We find that scene in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is 12. and he's, Remember when he gets left behind in Jerusalem? And, and his parents don't know what's going on. They, they turn around and go back to Jerusalem and they find him in the temple. And the people who were there listening to him in the temple, rabbis, experienced teachers, were in awe and amazement at the wisdom of Jesus. It continued through his whole life. The people were awed by him. They were amazed by him. They were blown away by his wisdom, by his greatness. Jesus was a wonder. But you know, that wonder didn't begin at his birth. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus had always been the wonder of God. He is the wonder of God who created all. And by His power, all things were held together and continue to be held together. When we open up the Old Testament and we flip through the pages of the Old Testament and we read of times in which God appears, we should understand those moments to be appearances of the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is when the wonder of God appears in the flesh. When God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, you know who I believe that was? Jesus. When the Bible speaks of the angel of the Lord appearing to Old Testament saints, you know who that is? Jesus. When when he appears to Abraham, to Moses, to Joshua, to Gideon, that's Jesus. The fourth man in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's Jesus. And every single moment you see, you know how the people responded? With worship, with awe, because they saw The wonder of God. But it didn't end there. It didn't end at His crucifixion. He proved His wonder and might by doing what no earthly person could ever do by rising from the grave to a new life. And today, He is seated at the right hand of God in the place of highest authority, waiting on the Father to say, Go get your children. And one day, Philippians 2 tells us, that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus, the wonderful one, is the Lord of all. Don't miss the wonder of Jesus. Sad truth is, many do. Many fail to grasp the wonder of our Savior. Many fail to stand in awe of Him. They do not see Jesus, the greatness of our Savior and King. Many in Jesus' own day missed it. They didn't see the wonder of Jesus 
They, and the reason I believe that many of them did is because they were looking for someone else. They were looking for a Messiah who fit their image. They were looking for a, a militant Messiah, one who was going to set their earthly life in order, but they failed to see the Messiah, the only Messiah, who could put their eternal life in order. They didn't want a Messiah that was made in their, in their image, who conformed to their desires, who gave them their wants, um, who would do their bidding. And some today miss Jesus for the same reason. Because they're looking for a Messiah who's made in their own image. One who doesn't require much um, in, in terms of commitment or sacrifice. One who gives in to their desires rather than making them, making them surrender to His desires. But if Jesus is who the Bible says He is, which I believe He is, then He deserves our wonder. He deserves our all. We must have the attitude of John the Baptist in John 3.30 when it says that John said this, He must increase and I must decrease. That was a moment in which John the Baptist is saying, Jesus is so wonderful and great, the attention doesn't need to be on me, it needs to be on Him. And if Jesus is truly the wonder of God, which I believe He is, then that must be our attitude. We must recognize His authority, His position over our lives. And also see what Isaiah tells us next, that Jesus is our counselor. He is our counselor. Isaiah writes that the Messiah is the wonderful counselor. And considering who Jesus is, the, the Son of God, the one who created all, the one who sustains all, wouldn't you say that Jesus is more than able to be our heavenly counselor? Wouldn't you say that he is more than qualified? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And we saw that. I mentioned a minute ago, even at the age of 12, Jesus amazed people with his wisdom. They were blown away at his understanding. And it really should come as no surprise because that 12-year-old child was the one who inspired the Word of God himself. He was the one that spoke it into existence. It was all his idea. It was all his plan. And you know that reputation continued through his entire life. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 53, it's going to be on the screen. We find a scene of the adult Jesus in the midst of his ministry, and it says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Don't you think it's interesting that here we find a group of people who heard Jesus' wisdom. They saw the mighty works. And rather than being moved with joy and excitement, they were offended. They were angered. They thought, how dare he say these things. We know his parents. He comes from a lowly background. How dare he act like he's so wonderful? They wanted nothing to do with his words. They saw him as abrasive. His ideas challenged their desires, their wants. He called for repentance, for obedience, and they wanted nothing of it. Here was the wonderful counselor standing right in front of them, and they turned away and walked away from him. An offense. There's another instance in John chapter 6 in which Jesus had a day where many followers walked away from him. Uh, he's teaching about the fact that he's the bread of life. 
and you must eat of the bread, drink of the cup, in order to be a child of God. And in John chapter 6, verse 60, it said, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I believe in those two passages, and really in life in general, you can see two different mindsets. On the one hand, you have this group of people who were angered by the words of Jesus. They were offended by the words of Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with what he taught. They did not want to give their lives to him. They did not want to surrender to his will. Uh, They wanted nothing to do with him being the Lord of their life. They rejected him. Despite the wisdom, despite the works, they said, no, I don't want anything to do with it. But then there are those who are much like Peter, who realize that when Jesus speaks, he is giving the very words of life. The keys to unlocking eternal life. You see, Peter recognized that the wonderful counselor gives us the way to salvation. Peter recognized that despite the difficulty of what Jesus was saying, despite that in John chapter 6, Jesus is giving a hard teaching and it's something difficult to follow, he realized that there's no use fighting against it. That's the only way. That's the only way to eternal life. There is no other way. He says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? There's nowhere else we can turn. There's no other Savior. There's no other option. There's no other paths. There is no other plan for salvation. Jesus said it himself, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he said. There's no other way around it. He must be your counselor. Your eternity depends on it. If you neglect the words of Jesus when he calls you to surrender your life to him, You are setting yourself on a path to be condemned for an eternity in hell. It's a fact. There's another thing we need to realize too. When we think about Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the words of this wonderful counselor give us the path to godliness in this life. Our wonderful counselor's words are sufficient for both our salvation as well as our sanctification. And if you will follow the counsel of Jesus, if you will follow his words, you will become more like Jesus. It's not that we say, Jesus, I'm going to listen to you and you're going to tell me how to be saved. And then Jesus, I'll handle it from here and I'll do it my own way and I'll become more like you. And I'm just going to do my own thing here. No, we must surrender ourselves to his counsel. And you better believe Jesus is qualified, more than qualified, to give us the path to godliness. I mean, think about it like this. Why do you listen to the people you do when you go seeking advice? Like when you're, when you're sick, what makes you listen to the doctor that you go to? When your car's broken down, why do you go and talk to a mechanic? When you have some decision in your family to decide some major thing, maybe it's a financial decision, maybe it's to move, take a new job. Why is it that if you're married, you listen to your spouse when they, just, when they give an opinion on, on what you should do? Why, why do you do that? Is it because of their education? Is it because of their position? Is it because they've, they, sometimes it's because they, they've shown themselves to have, have, have an opinion that matters in that area of life, right? 
You know, you, you don't go to someone who do, isn't qualified to answer those questions, right? For instance, if you're sick and you have, a, you have something wrong with you, you don't go to your mechanic and ask for medicine, right? And you don't go to your cardiologist and ask him to put in a hot water heater for you, do you? And, you know, and for instance, like if you look in the bulletin, um, you know, I, I went to seminary, I got a doctorate, but I'm not that kind of doctor. I can't answer your questions about your illnesses. I'm not the right person to come to in those matters. You go to particular people to ask particular things because they have qualifications. They're qualified to answer those questions, right? Why do you listen to Jesus' commands? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help in time of need. You know why we can, tr- we can trust Jesus? Do you want to know why we can trust His words? Because He walked through this life just as you and I did. He's been through the hurts. He's been through the pains. He's been through the temptation, yet He did it without sin. He did it perfectly. And because of that fact, he is more than qualified to be your counselor. He has walked the path and did it with holiness. And so, yes, his words are more than able to direct you toward godliness. Would you flip in your Bible real quick? I want to take us to one more passage this morning. Psalm chapter 23. When I think of this picture of Jesus as a counselor, um, I can't help but think of Psalm 23. And it may not be the first passage that would have come to your mind, but it it did for me. And I think once we read through it, I think you'll understand um, why I say this. Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can't you see that picture of a shepherd as being one who leads their sheep, who cares for all the need of their sheep? He is like a counselor in a sense. He he ensures that his sheep are are walking in safety and are provided for, that they're walking on the right path. Just listen, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see that picture of the good shepherd as the one who leads his children toward godliness, toward holiness, toward safety, toward blessing? Do you see that in Psalm 23? John chapter 10 tells us that Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, I am the one who gives up my life for my sheep. He says, I am the door 
the shepherd pa- that the sheep pass through. I am the way. He's saying that he is the one who is talked about in Psalm 23, that he is the wise, the, the, the wonderful counselor, the good shepherd. He guides us toward blessing and away from harm. But to experience that blessing, to experience that protection, we have to follow his counsel. We have to listen to his word. Because wise counsel only does you good if you actually follow it. Would you pray with me? Father God, you have sent your wonderful counselor who has given us the words of life, as Peter said, the only words of eternal life. But we must follow it. We must follow His words to salvation. And if we want to be like Jesus, if we want to live like Him in this life, we must follow His words towards sanctification. So Father God, today we come laying our lives before the feet of our wonderful Counselor. We stand in awe of the greatness of our Messiah. Jesus was no ordinary man. He was God in the flesh and continues to be God sitting at your right hand, Father. And we give our lives to Him. Father, if there's someone here today who has never truly surrendered their life to Jesus for salvation, pray that today would be that day when they would realize their sin and how that sin has separated them from God and that Jesus is the only way and that he has made a path for them made a way for them to have eternal life if they will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to confess their sin, to repent of it ask Jesus to forgive them, to to believe and trust that Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for their sin and have eternal life. If there is someone here today who does not know for certain that they have eternal life through Jesus, the only one who can give it, I pray that today in this time of invitation, God, you would nudge that person, lead them to step out of the aisle. And for those of us here today who are believers, Lord, I'm praying that we would live our lives according to the word of the wonderful counselor. That we would commit our way to him, that we would trust our good shepherd, that he is leading us toward paths of righteousness, toward green pasture, that even in the valley of the shadow of death, that we will fear no evil because Jesus is the one who comforts us, who guides us, who delivers us from evil. Father, we thank you for your son. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things.